You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. God's more shout a big amen. Let's put our hands together. Let's celebrate Jesus, if you don't mind. Hallelujah. Amen. As you take your seats, help me uh, make the person who's sitting next to you feel welcome. Um, I know they still have their after-worship face. They look like they've just seen God, but help me make them feel welcome. Hogs, okay, that's, that's good. Not bad, not bad, okay. Great. If the person next to you is not smiling yet, uh, ask them, what's, what's happening? Why? <laughs> All right, but good to see you in church this morning, okay? Good morning. Okay. You're not the guy who normally plays the keyboard for me, right? <laughs> All right, okay. Um, happy birthday, Mary. Thank you again for sharing your God experience. God bless you. God bless you. It was also uh, the birthday of one of our leaders here. Um, and she's such a phenomenal person. Just want us to celebrate her. Um, Damilola Adelowo. You understand? So everybody knows who you are. She's, she's a minister here. Her birthday on Friday. Such a gracious person. And has been at the very heart of Life Point for a long time. I'll just really... Thank, thank you. By the way, Dami and Mary are sisters. So our people will say, same father, same mother. <laughs> but they are sisters. Uh, we thank God. Okay. Um, help me ask the person next to you. Is this your first time at LifePoint? And if it's your first time, tell them, ah, where have you been? <laughs> uh, but make them feel very welcome. Appreciate your first time at LifePoint. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this, this Sunday morning. My name is Idris. I'm the resident pastor here. And LifePoint is um, a mission post of the Elevation Church. Elevation Church is that huge, phenomenal church further down the road, uh, pastored by Pastor Godman and Bolaniwa Kilabi. And we thank you for making our time to be here this morning. We trust that God, uh, who ordered your steps, has a word for you. Okay? Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've discussed about leadership um, because I felt a couple of weeks ago that God will want us to have that discussion. Um, next week, uh, we have a special guest in the house uh, to continue the discussion about leadership, uh, Dr. Obi Ezekwesili. We'll be speaking for the very first time at life. I thought you would shout a bit more because she's, she's really such an awesome person. I remember the first time I heard her speak, I was just amazed. Um, it was the first, the first graduating set of Covenant University. My youngest sister was graduating and she was the speaker on the day. And it was just such an awesome time. Um, over the years, she's gone on to be um, 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 a minister in the federal cabinet, Nigeria's federal cabinet, I think uh, vice president at the World Bank. Um, and um, she's an advocate and a believer at heart. So please do come in early next Sunday um, and invite someone. Let's pack out this auditorium. Invite someone. Uh, we'll start, have some pre-service worship at 930 um, and then, um, you know, 9.50 will stop and, you know, put the place in order. And then at 10, we'll continue service. But it promises to be a phenomenal time. Okay. Um, um, last or two Sundays now, the first Sunday, I spoke about leadership and how, um, how you know, I sense that God is giving us opportunities, openings in space and in time to become leaders. I spoke about our country and how... Um, Leave it our country um, in all of the chaos that we see at certain uh, levels presents us with um, an awesome opportunity to be leaders. I spoke about the fact that in every generation, God will cause a voice, it will give us a voice, 
and I spoke about the fact that in our generation, there's a huge need for leaders to come up. Um, I also spoke about the fact that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a mandate. The Christianity, our faith that we share, is a huge mandate um, to influence people. We said some of the greatest leaders in our world are those who can influence where people end up eternally. All right. So um, our president, uh, our, the, the governor of Lagos State, can can um, can come tonight and say, "Oh, look, there's nobody going out. Nobody should go out tomorrow." A lot of us will be happy. You know, we'll pretend that we're sad, but we'll be happy. We'll stay at home. Uh, the president can say, "Everybody should come out, but you should should only uh, should only well, should I don't know what's you should only drive." This one time where you could only, on separate days, of the, on different days, it's odd number and even number. You know that if you were alive at that time, uh, you know, you've been around a little bit longer than me. But at a time, you could, so they had even numbers and odd numbers. So if your particular plate number was 362 something something, you go out on Monday. If you were 351, you go out on Tuesday. The president can determine who does that. But none of those people can determine where you end up in eternity. Absolutely none of them. Uh, and, and so it's important that as those who carry the message which enables uh, people to determine where they will end up, that we understand the kind of leadership that we're called to as Christians. Okay, so we had that discussion the first week. Um, last week we had a discussion where we talked about where do great leaders come from. And I remember saying to us that when we look at how Jesus chose his disciples, that he did not look for noble people. He didn't look for theologians, historians, philosophers. He looked for fishermen. He looked for gentle people. He looked for people who um, did not have a lot of credit behind their name. And we talked about how when you look at David's life, it was clear that through the things that he had experienced in his life, God was calling him to lead a particular type of people. And so I said to you, and to us as church, that where have you been? Um, some of you have been, um, you, some of you have been down roads that I didn't even know exist, and God is calling you to lead people who are down that road. Some of you um, have experienced the corporate world, banking. Some of you have experienced, um, uh, um, um, you know, things with with pain. Some of you have experienced uh, finance. Some of you have experienced all sorts of different things. And God is calling us to lead. So great leadership comes from people understanding that the path I have worked, there are others who um, are walking down that path. The Bible says we don't have a high priest who is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmity. We also read from Psalm 78 and 72 last week where it speaks about David leading the people with integrity of heart and with the skillfulness of hand. And we talked about the fact that you can develop leadership capacity and you must develop leadership capacity. Uh, we spoke about the fact that God will give us counselors. We read through Exodus 18, where God shows us um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, telling Jet uh, Moses how to lead the millions of people that God had given him. We spoke about the fact that great leaders also come from a place where they've, by the help of the Holy Spirit, developed genuine love for human beings. Um, genuine love for human beings. Uh, compassion. We spoke about the fact that Jesus will do miracles as he was moved by compassion. 
Uh, so somebody I mentioned last week, that great leaders are those who recognize their God-given opportunities in their generations, in their families, in their nations, and who, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, progressively develop skill, character, and compassion, and then leave positive changes to the glory of God. Okay? Um, so, so the person sitting next to you... Um, it's a, it's a great leader in the making. And I know you don't believe it. I'm going to tell you, oh, tell them you're a great leader. You're going to say it out of kindness, but you don't necessarily know them. But I, I stumbled on a scripture, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Uh, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, this is not our usher in Samuel here. This is the head, uh, head usher, the, the, the prophet at the time. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance. Do not look at her wig, her eyebrows, do not look at her bag, do not look at his beards. It says, or on the height of his stature. It says, Before, because I have rejected him. It says, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. For they look on the outward appearance. It says, but God looks at the heart. And there is something about the heart of a leader. I have to rush today. I have to speak quicker. Uh, something about the heart of a leader. Um, and he was speaking about David, who was in present. And you know, I wondered, so what it is about David's heart? And God reminded me of this scripture where David is you know, outside, I think it's you know, his hometown, and he's just longing and saying, oh my goodness, I wish that one day, I wish I could just get a cup of water from you know, from Bethlehem. There's a well in Bethlehem. The water there is just, it's just real water. And I'm tired of all this pure water we're drinking here in the wilderness. And there were three guys who just said, what? David wants water from Bethlehem. And, but the thing was that in between them and those Philistines, the Bible says those three men, they got up, headed off, you know, broke through the lines of the Philistines just to go and get water. And the Bible says they brought the water back. And if David was like you and I, he probably said, oh my goodness, what a great leader I am. And he would have drank the water with a lot of content. But that's not what happened. The Bible says that in first Samuel, Second Samuel 23, he's uh, 17, and David said, uh, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should drink or that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. And I was amazed. The Bible says he poured out the water to the Lord. I was amazed. And, and so that's the heart. There's something about the heart of a leader where you essentially realize that people's lives are valuable. Where you respect people regardless of how they look. And, you know, it's a, it's a struggle for us who live in Africa, in Nigeria, who have seen leadership modeled in different ways. Um, and, and so if you've been chased off the road by the convoy of somebody you voted for six months ago, you understand how it feels. But, you know, what God is looking for um, is, is a heart that cares, okay? And it's very important. Okay, so help me tell the person next to you, I know you're going to be a great leader. I just wanted to get your details now. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Um, tonight, or this morning, Yes, this morning I got my time. 
This morning, just a quick discussion about Christians in governance and politics. When I was discussing the title with, I think, someone's trauma earlier in the week, I said, it sounds like a lecture. It's like a LifePoint Leadership Series 1. Christians in governance and politics. Um, because there are a couple of thoughts. I'm going to try and rush through, but I do know what God wants me to say, so I'm going to make sure I emphasize that. Um, so with governance and politics, we speak about how influences um, distributed, how people acquire influence, how people control government, how people use their influence. In fact, um, it's very intriguing. So there's a lot of TV series that we watch nowadays that speak about the intrigues of power and government, right? Um, I know my wife and I are watching one like that. I didn't watch it with her. I was just I, I, I was reading my Bible. But <laughs> this is like, they used to read, used to watch it. I think it was Scandals or something. Is this Scandals? Sorry? Is this Scandal you were watching? <laughs> So there's scandals, there's another one. It's just all the ones about power and the intrigue of what you know the ones I'm talking about, you're all for me, like you don't know. But you know, it's and it's you know, when you watch it, you know you can almost see yourself in, you know, it's, and you sometimes also tell yourself, oh, this is what happens at we call it the corridors of power. You know, and depending on what your temperament is like, sometimes you wish you are there, or sometimes you're just like, oh, you know, never. But first thing I should say is that God is King of kings and Lord of lords, right? And understand that God is sovereign. He rules in the affairs of men. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.15 speaks about God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, There are certain realms that human government cannot get to. Certain things that human government cannot do. And what I want to ask this morning is, does God expect us as Christians to be involved in politics and the governance of the land that we live in? If so, how? We read Matthew 22. The Bible says that the, you know, they came to Jesus to test him and said, look, should we pay taxes to the Romans? Uh, because they wanted to trap him. Because if Jesus said yes, then all the Jewish people who were at that time under, you know, uh, uh, subjection to the Romans will say, oh, you know, this guy is supporting uh, our, our masters. And if he said no, then he was essentially inspiring an uprising. But Jesus said to them in Matthew 26 and verse 21, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And he makes that clear distinction between what we'll call the state and the church. If you are a student of history, you will read about the Roman Empire and how, uh, what happens when you couldn't distinguish between the state and the church. And if, there are loads of philosophical discussions about how involved the church should be in the state. But a couple of reasons why we must be very mindful about politics and about governance. First, God is the one who's ordained all this. So the authority structures, the authority within or, or that underpins all these governance structures that we know um, is ordained by God. We read Romans 13, and I'd like us to read that. 
Romans 13, verse 1 to 7. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Uh, for he is God's minister to you for good. I, I like that. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he, will not, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for their God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Seven says, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So the systems are ordained by God. And you do see a as, you know, you read through the New Testament, you do see the fact that uh, people, there were Christians who were involved in government. We'll go to the New Old Testament because quite a number of examples. Um, when Paul is closing the book of Romans, Romans 16 and verse 23, he speaks about a guy called Erastus who he says is the city's director of public works. He says to, you know, and, and he speaks about that gentleman um, well, this translation says he's the treasurer of the city. One of the, my translations says he's the, is the director of public works. Talking about you know, treasurers, when you read Philip's um, experience with the Utopian eunuch, the Bible says the Ethiopian eunuch was the treasurer of the, um, of the queen of the Ethiopians. All right? So you do see a pattern in the New Testament about Christians who were involved in the gospel. But, but why should we as Christians be mindful of governance and politics. It's ordained by God. It has an impact on our peace and our well-being. I mean, if you live in a city that is governed properly, you ever been to one, um, and you go to a city that's not governed properly, you can immediately tell the difference. So you read First Peter, or you read First Timothy, let's do that one, 2, 1 to 3. It says, Therefore I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. To what end? It says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And so our peace and our quietness and just the order of the city that you live in, um, it's drawn from the quality of governance, Right? I assure you, if you've never uh, been outside Lagos before, that it's not every city in the world that they drive five lanes on Monday morning. It's not every city on a three-lane road. Sometimes I just catch myself in traffic counting how many lanes we so ingeniously create on a three lanes. One, two, three, four, five. And the buses are on the one that's not even the, <laughs> the road. I'm like, ah, Nigerians are creative. But it's just... It's just the lack of proper governance that devolves into things like that and impacts on, you know, you get to work and you're stressed. You look like you've been fighting. You know, people think you're traveling from, you're driving three hours, you know, from, but you're just driving from 30 minutes away from work. 
Okay, so it has an impact on our peace. It also has an impact, as Christians, very importantly, it has an impact on our ability to spread the gospel and to live freely as Christians. It does. Um, Acts chapter 5, if we read 27 to 29, you actually see the disciples being told, do not preach anymore. So it matters who's governing you. When you read Daniel chapter 6, that is very interesting because um, the Bible says they were people who were jealous of Daniel and what God was doing in his life. And then they conspired and told Darius, who was the king, from verse 7, Daniel 6, 7. It says, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Essentially, this was targeted at Daniel, and they were simply saying, shut down worship. People say, ah, but can they still shut down worship in this day and age? It is possible. Um, I've been once to traveling in the Middle East, and we were in, I think it was in Dubai, and on that day, I don't know what they were celebrating, but you could not have loud music. In fact, you couldn't have music. And there was no shouting. And so it was a funny service. We, I think it was a redeemed church we had gone to that day on a Friday. For, that's when they go to church there. And I remember, so there was no praise and worship. This is what you were just doing now. If a lot of people shout, ah, no, there was no like that. But it was calm. And what, um, what amused me that day was, so even when the pastor is you know, in the heat of his message, I want to shout, praise the Lord. <laughs> and I'm not joking. It was, it was a very controlled discussion. There was no the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. The Holy Ghost didn't move you anywhere. You just controlled yourself, you know, because you knew that if you breached, and they simply said, no. So imagine if they said, the whole month, no shouting, no singing. What would Afala be do? Just, <laughs> uh, um, I've been to China once, and I remember trying to go to church, and eventually couldn't make it to service, but it was odd, and I think things have evolved a bit, but you had to, I think as a citizen, you couldn't go to church I think some churches you had to go with your passport to show that you were not a Chinese citizen, so you were allowed to attend church. And eventually I didn't go. I was just a bit worried about how things might... But it does have an impact on our ability to spread the gospel. And because it does have an impact on peace, what happens also is that I mean, we, we, we preach better, we share the gospel better when things are peaceful. I was telling myself this morning, if I came to church and said, look, God has led us um, to uh, set up a couple of mission fields in, in Washington. Um, spoken to the ambassador, they're going to bring free visas. I know a lot of you are busy, but we just need 10 people to show up here tomorrow morning. I, like, <laughs> I know that a number of people will show up, right? Washington. Oh, God has called me. I'm heading out. Let's go straight. But if I said to you, God has called us to Maiduguri. I feel it. I, I've never heard anything this clear. My degree, we're going to set up a mission post. PI. <laughs> Are you sure you heard? <laughs> Are you sure you heard? I love you, PI, but I don't. If I know that some people will physically restrain me, <laughs> you know, from going. And, and the simple reason is because uh, I was saying to someone earlier in the service that there are places in Nigeria today where five, six years ago, you could go preach. You could go share God's word with confidence, with boldness, and you can't go there anymore. And I know for a number of us, we just see these things in the papers and we can't interpret and understand what it means, but you can't. 
If I told my wife, I was, I'm, go, ah, I'm going to my degree, just, God has led me. She would pray, pray, pray. Call Pastor Godman, call my father, my mother, call everybody. And if everything fails, she would chain me. To <laughs> she would chain me. But it's just, but, but, don't, but, but don't get this. So even when things are not peaceful, uh, you'll be surprised what God can still do. So God will sometimes harden the heart of Pharaoh so that he can push the children of Israel out of slavery. So, you know, these are reasons why it's important. So how involved should we be? I said last week when I was rounding up that I think Christians have a head start when it comes to providing great leadership because you are already under the influence of God. The fact that you're under the influence of God does not necessarily guarantee that you have the skill to lead. Now, when we talk about why, so, so you will have good Christians who will make terrible leaders. It won't be for lack of wanting to, but it will be for lack of skill. And so that's why leadership ability is important. So what isn't power, you know they say power corrupts, an absolute power, but isn't politics dirty? Why should Christians even be involved. As I prepared for this, one thing that God kept you know, putting in my heart, I just felt strongly, was that the temptation is for us to box God in our generation and say, this is how God will do it. And God has over time done, you know, uh, engaged Christians in government and leadership in different forms. Uh, with the people of Israel, he would, um, he would actually give them their own kings with the people of Israel. So, um, he would, First Samuel 16, I think we read it a couple of weeks ago, he would say to Samuel, I have chosen this guy to be king. This guy will no longer be king. But what I found interesting about the times when God did that was the fact that he did that for a people who he also will give a moral code to. So people who he also had an influence over. And this is interesting. We'll talk about it shortly. How that when you have a righteous person leading a bunch of people who are unrighteous, quote and unquote, um, it's a tough struggle because ultimately uh, the leadership is representative, ultimately. So the Bible says that God is the one who sets up a kingdom. So there are times when God will directly just send leaders, and, and there are people here who God wants to send. There are people here who God wants to send. And you, you kind of already get a hint. From a young age, you already got a hint. There are people here who God wants to send. Help me tell somebody, God wants to send you. <laughs> All right? There's sometimes when he would put righteous people in senior administrative positions, senior positions of governance, even with unrighteous leaders. So when you read through uh, you know, the, the, the Bible, you will find Joseph, you would find Daniel, you will find them seven people who, quote-unquote, you could say, were not righteous people. You would find cases when God will actually take people who didn't know him, so unrighteous kings, and he would perform his counsel through them. You read Isaiah 45. He says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have chosen, or I've held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the door will not be shut. He's not talking, Cyrus was not a child of the covenant. 
So God will appoint kings, remove kings. God will set people up in places of governance to assist even people who are quote-unquote unrighteous. God will take unrighteous leaders and use them to perform his counsel. At other times, he would actually just raise what we'll call prophetic voices, people who would speak to kings and those in authority. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, you see where God, and Ahab and Elijah have a discussion. The Bible says, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? In verse 18, he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed Baal. And this is interesting. So when we think about how God wants us to engage in governance and politics, I'd like us to have that at the back of our mind, that God is sovereign and wants to use us the way he wants to use us. So there are people who believe very strongly that we should send Christians out in squads, and plenty of them for that matter, to run for office and take over the nation. And there is very noble intent in those thoughts. There are people who believe that Christians should not even be involved at all in governance and in politics. Um, so I know, um, reading through John Maxwell's book again, Laws of Leadership, he spoke about the E.F. Hutton law, the fact that the person who has the position is not necessarily the person who has the power. And he, from his experience, will talk about the fact that there are times when he has led leadership teams where he had the position, but it was clear that he was not the one who had the power. I say that when it comes to understanding how God wants us as Christians to engage in leadership, engage in governance and politics, that men must react or act out of the revelation that they receive in different seasons. In fact, the fact that we are Christians and share the faith does not mean we will always have the same views politically. And we have to be careful about that. So um, when we begin to prescribe models for how the church should engage with the state, uh, we need to understand that uh, God will do different things at different times. God will do different things at different times. And we must understand God's priorities. So God's priority is not necessarily in getting someone to become president or governor or senator. That in and of itself, uh, if it happens, should be a means to an end. What is the end? What is God's ultimate work on the earth? God is trying to reconcile people back to himself. So let me tell us what the three things that I believe God wants us to um, God wants us to do as Christians when it comes to leadership and governance. And I, and I know that there are two, at least two sets of people here. There's a set of people who are rearing to go. You, you know God has called you to run as governor. God has called you to run. God has called you to public. You know it. You can feel it. In fact, when they give birth to you, one of the names that was given to you at your naming ceremony was senator. And you know it. You can already feel it in your heart. There's a, you, but there are some of you who know, you, you're like, never, nothing in my entire, I can't, not only can I not run for office, I can't even marry somebody who says he wants to run for office. You're just, but, but there's a path for all of us. The first thing, and this one was strong in my heart, was prayer. So how do Christians engage 
in governance and politics. Prayer. If in your mind you're making comments about my handwriting, God forgive you. <laughs> That's my Sunday handwriting. It's normally better than this. Okay? Um, the Bible says that the heart of the kings are in God's hands. Proverbs 21, verse 1. First Timothy that we read earlier in verse 2 says, First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority. So there is a part that we have to play. So this is whether you're going to run for office or not, whether you think God has called you. There is a part where we exert leadership from the place of prayer. I said to a friend, but I think we have come to a place where we underestimate the power of the praying church. We've come to the place where we no longer think that God hears those prayers. But here he commands us to pray for leadership, for pray for everyone who is in governance. So for those of us who say, oh, it's not for me, it's too dirty, I'm not called, I don't have the temperament, this one is for you. So when you think of the governor of Lagos State, when you think of um, our President Buhari, when you think of anyone who is involved in politics, because of the reasons I gave you earlier and because of the fact that God has asked us to do so, it's important for you to, in the place of prayer, bring the influence of God over them. So guess what? If you have a president who is misbehaving, the likelihood is that the Christians in that city, in that country, are not praying for him or her. The likelihood. The likelihood. Um, why is this important for us to pray? Um, I think it's uh, in First Kings where it speaks about a, the, the official on whose shoulder the king was leaning. The Bible says when they sought to bring the counsel of God, this is the whole prophet saying to him, by this time tomorrow, a bag of wheat shall be sold for X and Y. He resisted the counsel of God. And the Bible says, you know, he said, look, come, your, 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 your eyes will see it, you will not enter into it. When you read Acts chapter 13, don't have time to go into detail, but it speaks about a gentleman called Elimias. And it speaks about the fact that he was a sorcerer. The Bible says in so Acts chapter 13 and verse 8, and Elimias the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, we stood them seeking to turn the proconsul from faith. The previous verse says he was a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was called Bajaz. And the thing was simply, there were people who by diabolical means were influencing government. And it is the place of us Christians to stand and declare the counsel of God, the influence of God over government. What I find us do as Christians is that we wake up in the morning, we read the papers, and we say, oh, these guys are terrible. This is just rubbish. And there's a certain level of powerlessness that we exhibit, we talk about. But I keep wondering, so God is saying, but why wouldn't you pray for these people? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and makes much power available. I don't know when the last time you prayed for your leaders was, but you should take out time. You should write their names down and pray for them. You should spend time praying in the spirit 
over the people who have been elected to lead us in our countries. So prayer is very important, number one. So please tell the person next to you, please pray for us. <laughs> that assumes that you are really. Just tell them again, please pray for our leaders. Okay. The second thing is about engagement. So engage as God gives you grace. And what I mean by engagement is my pretty handwriting. God bless you as you laugh. That's fine. I forgive you. All right. What I mean by engagement is in different forms. There are a number of us who God over the next couple of years, and perhaps now, already gives access to people who are in government. My worry is that for too many of us, when we have access to people who are in government or in politics, we sometimes think of it as a means for enrichment. So if Yimika's uncle became minister of petroleum tomorrow, all the people in the choir will start treating Yimika very well. <laughs> Just in case Yimika's uncle will declare one day, give her one oil block. By which time, even I will be her very good friend also. <laughs> but the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 2, it says, when you dine with the king, it says, put a knife to your truth. And so there's the cobbing of appetite that is necessary for you to deliver God's counsel as you engage with those who are in office. Someone needs to begin to ask, and you, some of us, you have friends who are already special assistants to governors, special assistants to presidents. There's the concept called speaking the truth to power, where when you see a young man who is in his 30s and all he is doing is the fact that he's a commissioner in a state, and you can see him changing Rolex after Rolex, and somebody who is close to him, who is Christian and has the spirit of God within him, should one day tap him on the shoulder and say, Coyote, I don't want to offend you, but where do you get this money from? As again saying, okay, it's your Rolex, I plenty you. <laughs> My point is, there is that level of engagement that God is calling us to. By the way, there is a call to, because there's so much that happens that is unrighteous in our country, in our governance already. And there is a call to us as Christians to be the ones who speak, who remain as the conscience, the voice of reason in the lives of those people. How else do we engage? I believe that God is opening up space. I'm going to round up and speak about that. I believe that God is opening up spaces. Opening up spaces. So the development of your gifts, I don't know what gifts God has given you, and just your diligent application in life has the potency to create space for us in governance. This is what I mean. When you read Proverbs 18 and verse 16, the Bible says, the gift of a man makes room for him. One translation says, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. So there is someone's gift. There is, someone's, there is something that God has called you to be able to do 
which has the potential to be able to bring you into greatness, into the company of kingship, into a place where you govern, into a place where you can exercise influence. Proverbs 22 and verse 29 says, Do you see someone who is skilled in their work? It says they will serve before kings. They will not serve before mere men. I know for a fact that every four years or so, lists, at least L-I-S-T, are collated in this country. And what happens is this. We elect a president, a new governor, and people collate lists in this country. I know this as a fact. So they say, um, oh God, please, do you know people? And she'll bring 13 people, and she'll bring 15 people. And some people just, of course, some people take names that don't make sense. They just want to have somebody who they can control and influence. But ever so often, what happens is that some people say, I know someone as a person of character, as a person of integrity and skill. And look, we must have this person in government. And it, they don't choose the people every time. But I know for a fact that those lists, that cycle happens every four years. I know I have a senior friend who said to me once, said, look, I'm the current person who was NNPC MD there. He said, I was the one who took the name to the government. But what qualifies for your name, my name, to be taken up? It's diligent application and the fact that we attend unto our gifts and we let the anointing of God take over. Help me tell someone they are going to call your name soon. I don't say this with confidence. Let me tell someone they are going to call your name soon. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3, then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And I say this, and I'm, I've been saying this for months, the Nigeria's civil service is in bad shape now. But a time will come when, as God restores us, that it will be, it will be a privilege to work in the civil service. And there are people who should be skilling up now. Because now when they say, where do you work? If you say, I work in the Ministry of you know, Foreign Affairs or something, you know, there's a way you say it with shyness. You know, when your friends say, I work in Shell, I work in McKinsey. Where do you work? Um, I work in the Ministry of, uh, okay, that's a very nice job. You're giving back to the community. You know, there's a way you, there's a way you, but a time is coming in our country when the civil service will be the, it will be at the heart of what God is doing, where they will employ PhD, and it's coming soon. But the truth is that there is a level of engagement that comes from preparation and the fact that you've allowed God prepare you. So engagement, I need to pull this together, engagement, engagement. I, I, I made a small note here, it's a bit of a tangent, but I find that one of the reasons we don't, we don't, we are not brought to the place where we are consciously engaged with governance and politics in our country. It's because we are not also invested in our country. One of the ways, and the Bible speaks about it, so I need to speak about it, is our taxes. I know for some people, taxing, taxation is a swear word. Like, tax? Don't say that. Tax. Let me ask the person sitting there, do you pay taxes? Usiri, do you pay taxes? Chief, keyboardist. <laughs> you pay tax? Yeah, sure. Amen. God bless you. 
But what happens is, and, and because scripture speaks about it, Jesus paid his taxes. But what happens very quickly is that, you know, you know that there's a way, there's a tax rate eh, that inspires ownership. You know, if you work a whole month eh, and they take 50% of your salary as tax, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you are shouting, Who is the governor? Where is the governor? Why is there a pothole here? You know, you can't know. The reason why you're not right, you're not engaging governance, yeah, is because. It's, you're not, nothing, you're, maybe you pay 5%, so you don't pay at all. But the way taxation is created is that people sow. I prayerfully sow. When, I, when they take my tax every month, it's a seed. Uh, you're laughing. It's a seed. into this. But what it also does, it gives me a right. I'll ask you a question, for example. How many of you know the local government chairman of your local government? I don't even ask you if you know the local government that you are in. That's a disgrace. No, 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 it's all right, it's all right. Not all good there. But do you even know the local government chairman? Eh? Anybody? Nobody. Anybody? <laughs> I rest my case on that matter. <laughs> so there's engagement. There is engagement. Speaking the truth to power. Playing our part. Uh, letting God take our gifts. Letting God... Take our diligent work. Um, so when those cycles of choosing come, that they will choose us. And I say this carefully, that Christians, it's a fantastic thing to have Christians in governance and politics. But it's a disastrous thing to have a Christian who is incompetent. So he gets to the office in the morning, he speaks in tongues. But you and I know that the national budget planning does not respond to speaking in tongues. If you don't know what side is debit and credit and how to organize numbers, okay, it's when you know how to do that and the Holy Spirit will breathe upon that. So what, what is God preparing you for? I shared with us last week, and I say it again, that every now and then there's a way that hunger blinds the mind of people and they cannot see opportunity. And I pray that hunger is not blinding our minds. The last thing is the scripture that I have been talking about. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, make the most of every opportunity. It's the right spelling, right? It's how to spell it. Chief opportunity, if I spell it right. You can't even see it, but you know the spelling. <laughs> Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So there's someone who God has actually called. And you know it to run for office. I know that I'm not called to run for office. At least now, on the basis of the information I have, I'm not called to run for office. Okay? Those of you who wanted to vote for me, relax. Relax. I'll tell you who, who to vote for later. But I'm not called to vote. I'm not, I don't think so. I have early memories. I, was, I think I was maybe five or six, when I was holding a megaphone, standing on the back of a vehicle and shouting to vote for, I think it was, I can't remember, it was UPN or something my father used to be. I, I have those memories of campaigning. But if there's someone here, and the Bible says, for as many as led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So my challenge to that person, those people, is to follow the call. My friend Shubami likes to say to me and mentioned it a couple of times to me how that one of the reasons Christians don't do well when they go into government is because sometimes they go alone. 
when God sends Daniel, you read Daniel chapter 2, when he wants to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the Bible says he took permission, he went back to his house, and he found the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he would confer with them and say, pray with me. So if God is calling you to governance and to politics, it's time to begin to build a network of like-minded, light-spirited people. So that when you go, you have people who would uphold you. The Bible says, I think it's First Samuel, after Samuel had anointed Saul, the Bible says that uh, Samuel went home, or Saul went home with men of like, mighty men of valor, whose spirit or whose hearts God had stirred. So if God has called you, I'm going to wrap up with this. God has called you. You sense there might even be a possibility. Step up to the plate. Step up to the plate. It's, there is so much that happens when you have good people in leadership. Yes, God will do what he wants to do with a righteous people and leadership. With righteous people, he will put righteous people in senior governance positions. But I just want to encourage us as a church and as people, look, don't let what God has planned for your life, let's try and get everything done. So if it includes running for office, by all means, we trust God that you would then, when you run for office, bring glory to God. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, I will pray for our country. I'll pray for our leaders. This is how it has been in my heart. Openings, opportunities, openings. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, when it speaks about Noah's ark, that Noah opened the window of the ark. All the, you know, all the water, the flooding, people had died. That Noah opened the window of the ark and he sent out birds. Verse 8 says, he also sent out from himself a dove. 9 says, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her feet, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And, I, and this is for someone who God is calling into governance and politics. It's that you will have to try and try. You would have to find, test the waters, find out where there's a resting place. And this, I believe, also applies to someone who God is calling somewhere else. I don't know where it is, but I'm just telling you how it, it's been laid in my heart. I've, I see this concept of openings, ascending forth to test, ascending forth to see if there's favor. And the Bible says that that dove came back. There was no place to rest. The Bible says in verse 10, and he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. The Bible says, so he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. There's a law of process, and the fact that God, God does things so the things the Bible says he finishes the end of a matter from the beginning. There's someone who God is writing. So the script of Nigeria's governance in 20 years of Christ tarries is being written now. 
And I wonder how many people God has put in that script. And if you're someone who you're already sensing that God is calling you into those realms, please start preparing now. Please start preparing now. <sighs> Father, thank you. We're going to pray for our governors and pray for those among us who God will want to use in governance and pray for ourselves. I believe that there's an opportunity to further glorify God in our land. I believe so very strongly. Uh, Falabi will help us sing uh, the second stanza of our national anthem, which I know is hard work because you don't know it. <laughs> They're not going to show it on the slide, so just come and sing by faith. But it's a prayer. <laughs> I, I have it written that I'm going to sing from there. So <laughs> but it's a prayer. It's a prayer. And I don't know where God has called you to lead. But I know that he has not invested all that he has invested in your life by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ just for you to live a low, a normal, regular life. No. No. In fact, let's even start this prayer. Um, I would like you to pray for the two people beside you. Let me ask them for their names. I want you to vex and pray for them. Just tell them, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let you live a, I'm not going to let you live an ordinary life. I'm so sorry. I really apologize. I really apologize. What's your name? <laughs> What's your name? And I want us to pray for us, ourselves. For some people, this is about, you know, there's a leading from where you are now. There's some people, is a script that God is writing in the future. I need to stop here. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.